this huge thing and I know it's like hugely popular and people making a lot of money with extensions and plugins and whatnot, but there's also like a huge risk to self-hosting e-commerce products, especially if you're not willing to like invest a lot of um, money into a good hosting provider and having some someone to actually care about the website, make updates, check everything is still working and so on. So I'm not like I'm a fan of COVID or anything, but um, for that particular case, it was actually a good thing because without um, COVID, I would have been busy with like client work and maybe other projects. And I would have never stumbled upon that particular use case. What you can do with web to zip right now is like make a copy of that particular page save it somewhere then uh, take a new copy in like a month from now and then compare both with like a simple um, file comparison tool this is the wildcloud podcast so customers of wildcloud are using wildclouds to build their own shopify wix or webflow alternative so you can imagine if you focus on a specific functionality or specific niche you can turn that into a product, sell it automatically and start creating recurring revenue. The whole platform is hosted and serverless and it introduces the scalable architecture of SaaS to WordPress called multi-tenancy. So whatever you do today, head over to wildcloud.com and have a look at how you can productize your agency or build the SaaS of your dreams using nothing but your WordPress skills. So that being said, let's dive in, shall we? I'm actually very happy that you're joining me because it sounded like you had a lot of trouble with the email inbox that we just talked about two seconds ago. Um, but it sounds like you're going to have a really quiet day without getting any emails, right? Yeah, I mean, there are upsides and downsides. The, the downside, obviously, is that I didn't get any invite link to our little podcast session here. But the good thing is I also don't get any emails if something is going wrong, so... I keep it up to my team to handle the the worst uh, part of the day. <laughs> and just, are you uh, uh, are you a person that sleeps with his phone in his bedroom, or do you leave it like in the house? Usually, I leave it in the house, and even if I take it close to my bed, it's uh, still completely muted, and no notifications are going through. Oh, that's very. I mean, I'm very impressed. Uh, do you have a like a analog normal? Um, uh, alarm clock? Yeah, I have one. Um, I even uh, considered buying one of these. There are these like little feature phones or so. They only have like a black and white screen and no WhatsApp and no social media. And I honestly considered buying one of them, but my girlfriend <laughs> was just absolutely not impressed with the idea that I'm no longer available via WhatsApp or so and only via phone or SMS or things like that. But if that w wouldn't be a problem, I probably had switched to like an analog phone and something not so digital and with kind of like less um, distractions. I mean, Twitter alone is like the, the worst distraction ever, right? And I'm not even like popular on Twitter, but I get like I don't know, 10 to 15 notifications each day. And it's like, oh, yeah, what's up? Oh, yeah. I'm just replying really quick. And now um, one or two hours are gone because you got like into a discussion with someone or sharing opinions or just making a tiny little screencast for someone. Yeah, that's the worst. 
I've, I've got the same thing, man. I've been, so honestly, in my case, it would be my father who would um, get most upset if I switched to an old school phone. I think my girlfriend would actually get by well enough because she, she likes to call, but my father yeah. actually is a big WhatsApper for some reason. And um, um, my WhatsApp bio is actually, please call me. I may not respond quickly. And he hates that. He's actually no. coming over for dinner tonight. And he's probably <laughs> going to bring it up again because he just, the idea of not immediately replying back to a text or uh, picking up the phone. He always picks up the phone. Even if he's not available, he'll just tell you I'm not available. If I don't pick up the phone, I'm not available. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I get it, man. It's um, So, so uh, have you done anything currently to minimize the outside noise that you're receiving from social media alarm clocks what whatever mm, kind of so uh, there's a tiny little mac app where i forgot honestly forgot the name about but it's kind of like a social media blocker so that you have like okay you have one hour a day to um to participate in social media and i mean twitter's like 99 of social media for me is twitter i'm not using like facebook anymore or Instagram, not really into like sharing nice images from, I don't know, <laughs> anywhere in the world. So yeah, that helped a lot. Um, I'm also like having um, scheduled time slots for emails. So I check my email inbox like two times a day. And usually that's fine because most of my projects and businesses aren't really time critical. Um, so for people, it's fine as long as they get like a, a decent uh, reply back um, and they can see that I put in the time to really read what they're looking for and provide helpful answers. It's usually completely fine for people uh, in my network, for my customers, for pretty much everyone I'm in touch with. Do you sometimes get um, emails from customers with a title that's urgent in, cap in all caps? Like, yeah. what do you do when that happens? I mean, hopefully not that many customers will listen to our little podcast episode here, but <laughs> usually if I see something like a zap or urgent or please reply now or whatever it's called, and usually it's like all caps, um, I kind of deprioritize these folks first. So they only get a reply once I'm done with all the other emails and checking social media and whatnot, they still get like a reply within like, I don't know, 24 hours or so, but they're absolutely not like first priority in any way. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, or rather maybe fortunately for, for those people sending out those emails, we do always read them uh, because our infrastructure is, you know, critical. Like if our infrastructure goes down, multiple websites per customer goes go down. So we do have to obviously read it because it may mean that the infrastructure is down. Although finding out that the infrastructure is down via our customers is never going to happen. We would know before anybody else would. Yeah. But even so. Um, but yeah, no, like after reading it, nine out of 10 times, it's something someone else fucked up. Um, no. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, in the beginning, I was very distressed. Uh, and, and that goes back to when I was an agency owner and not... Uh, the co-founder of a SaaS platform. But especially when I was still running an agency, I noticed that I was very um, uh, sensitive to 
the ups and downs of customers and you have to babysit people a little bit more. And uh, actually my co-founder Bangland made a comment about this the other day that he had to teach himself to really empathize with the customer and realize that what we're building is something that they don't understand. So all the little things make a, make a huge difference where for us, they're easily changed or they're you know not a big deal. Mm. We can always optimize later. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that is like closing off from, uh, let me ask you this. Are you, do you feel like you're a pleaser as a person or are you very, are you, can you easily shut that off? Mm, I had trouble with shutting off for like at least five years straight or so. So I really, for me, it was like a kind of like a long journey to learn that I don't have to be available 24 seven, uh, jumping straight into a phone call with a customer. Um, I had an agency like, I don't know, eight years ago or so, and was kind of in a similar situation. And I was always the first one people get in contact with via phone, via email, via live chat. Uh, I tried to defend my team. So, uh, I was the first contact point and then I escalated the tasks to my team and that was really exhausting. Um, and absolutely not needed. So especially, or also like from a customer perspective, no one expected me to be there like 24 seven, but they kind of appreciated that it's always like a short line to get access to me and my time. But that also meant that I was kind of like out of the actual, uh, actual business stuff. So I couldn't work on client projects myself. I couldn't work on the overall strategy or improving like processes for all customers because I was so fed up with like the day-to-day -day business and communicating. And um, that took quite a while. Uh, now that I'm in, a, in a, another position, so like a product company, um, it's still hard to like not get pulled in into every conversation, every live chat, every email coming in. But I think it's part of the journey of an entrepreneur to, to learn, to manage your own time and to use it efficiently and to have like stepping back from the actual day-to-day -day business and work on the business, not just in the business. Yeah. What made you change your mind? What was the moment you started building a product instead of owning an agency and, and what was the first product you built? Um, so I started to realize that this whole agency thing wasn't for me in the long term as we, uh, as the demand kept up. So having like, um, maintenance plans for existing customers and emails sliding in with, Hey, can you change this little thing? And, oh, we have this new campaign running. Can you build a little newsletter sequence or whatever? And at the same time, pitching for, <clears throat> for newer clients, going to conferences, um, pitching for really big companies, um, doing all the contract work and all that stuff, um, onboarding new members to the team. I think at the end we were, we were like eight people or so, three designers, three devs, um, one kind of management secretary, not really like a, a product manager or like a, a time manager, but someone just kept 
uh, or made sure that we pay all the bills, that all contracts going out at the right time, and me, obviously, juggling all the tasks at once. So, yeah, that was kind of annoying. Um, the more we grow, um, the harder it was for me to like let go and not be involved in any or in all of all of the tasks. And we got acquired from uh, a company that hasn't done any um, any client work uh, and instead focused on building plugins for WooCommerce. And right. that was kind of like they onboarded me and my entire team into the company and the company almost doubled in size. So they were like, they had 10 people at that time and now we're they were all, all we together we were almost at 20 now and we tackled new plugin projects and i learned like step by step what it uh, means to run a product company uh, i've seen the difference between how do you manage an agency and a product company and i really enjoyed my time there and i stepped up from like junior dev to senior dev and later managing like three devs below me and um, had really the power to to change something uh, while still keeping like a healthy work-life balance. And during that time, I started <laughs> scratching my little uh, entrepreneur itch and started developing my own plugins at that time. I think my very first one, and I still maintain it today, is my password protection plugin. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I think it's almost like, 10 years old or at least nine years old now and it was like just a tiny little side project which was fun it was a little bit nerdy and i really love people reaching out asking for things like hey how do can can we improve the en encryption it's not like yeah, how does it work or it doesn't work so it's really a specific technical thing that i really got into nerd mode and improved it further and further and adapted to changes in WordPress, things like uh, integrating the customizer back in, back in the day um, to like modify the password form and changing colors and all that stuff. And that was fun. And in, I think it was 2018 or so, um, I integrated Freemius as a, as a payment provider to, um, offer a way for to to deliver like a premium version to the plugin and honestly i i would have never thought getting like more than i don't know 100 200 bucks a month or so from it but the revenue increased quite quickly so by the end of 2018 it already generated like one thousand dollar a month or so and was just like this one tiny little product and over the years, I kept adding new products to my portfolio. Um, and then COVID came. And I mm. <clears throat> thought, okay, now I have like quite a lot of time because I just um, quitted my job and was about to go full-time into, into business and freelance and all that stuff again. And yeah, finding clients doing, during COVID was quite of a journey and not that successful so i thought okay maybe it's time for building like a huge plugin thing and that's where i started uh, working on simply static 
um, now the most popular static site generator for WordPress, uh, even if you take like software as a service solutions um, into consideration, Simply Static is still the most popular. I'm not saying it's the best, it's kind of biased if I were to, but um, at least it's the most popular solution. And the growth of Simply Static was like kind of surprising. So it really skyrocketed from like, I think I started with like, I don't know, 5,000 active installations on WordPress.org. Now we have like 50,000 and wow. 15,000 pro users, which is like for a plugin is like a lot. And don't get me wrong, Simply Static is expensive. So we're starting from like $99 per year, which is kind of pricey for a plugin, but it also does kind of a lot and allows you to go fully static from your WordPress website without any technical knowledge at all. It's so impressive. If I, if I may uh, wind back a little bit, you mentioned that at the time when you quit your job and you wanted to start as a freelancer and then a pandemic hit, what kind of freelancing did you have in mind? Um, so I had a couple of contacts um, from my time at the company building WooCommerce projects. Um, and I had a couple of contacts before that time from my agency. Most of them were uh, enterprise companies using WordPress in like kind of a um, special way. So we had like an e-commerce store, for example, that is only accessible if you have like um, um, an officially government supported company here in Germany. And so we had to make sure like having an entire authentication process before uh, before the shop and also like need to make sure via external APIs to that they haven't lost the status within like the last three months or so because you uh, as a company support as a government supported company you can buy their products for like a really cheap price, but you have to use them in a certain way um, to support like um, poverty. Um, um, I don't know what's a, what's a word for it. So basically, everything related to public um, public health, public support, uh, fighting poverty. Um, so there are. Quite a, there's an entire catalog of restrictions um, people have to follow with these products. Um, but if they follow them, they can really buy a lot of stuff for like insane prices. And wow. that's something that is pretty much will be never covered by WooCommerce alone or not even by things like Shopify or bigger e-commerce systems like Magento or so, because it's like, way too specific and way too many regulations in place and yeah i kept like 10 of these enterprise customers at a time usually and um got paid for custom plugin development and maintaining the entire solution building this kind of projects on top of wordpress and woocommerce so yeah that was fun but people quickly canceled or uh, post their subscription for for maintaining solutions once once it was clear we're getting into the middle of the lockdown and no one really uh, knew how long it will take to reopen their business to to get access to all these suppliers again and so on. So, 
that part sounds very familiar and it's exactly the, you could say, start the jumping off point for our own uh, development of the platform. But in your case, the, the jump from building or rather working on e-commerce shops that are government supported, that have this extended and, you know, very hard identification process to simply static. How did that come to be? Did, did you somehow get inspired by your freelance work or was it something that you always wanted to do uh, based on a different yeah. source of inspiration? Um, it actually resulted uh, from a customer project. So we had uh, one store. Um, I don't even know what they were selling at that time. It was something like an air cleaner or so. Nothing like super rocket science special, but at that time it was kind of like an innovation thing. And they um, planned um, commercials in TV and they had this, I mean, the server wasn't like bad, but it wasn't really optimized for scale. And we were expecting like, I don't know, 100,000 unique visits per minute or so. So something really big. And they, they were worried that the shop and the, the website itself couldn't handle it. I mean, we see that all the pretty much every day if you follow shows like Shark Tank or so, where uh, people pitch their startup and the website goes down because there's so much traffic in such a short amount of time. And they're on a cheap hosting plan because yeah. they can't afford anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a dedicated <laughs> server, but it was like the cheapest dedicated server that you can get. So of course, I think they probably without, even with like caching, they probably would be able to like handle I don't know, 1,000 visitors per minute or so. So, and I wondered, okay, isn't there like an easier way to handle that situation? And uh, I came across a couple of approaches converting WordPress to a static website, but none of them are maintained anymore. So there are a couple of, if you look for static site generator WordPress, you may find some something like static press, which isn't maintained anymore. Um, I think the latest update is from 2019 or so. There was a tool called WP2Static. Um, and I'm a friend with the developer behind this project, uh, but the pr main problem was maintenance. So he was really ambitious on the project and really like he wanted to get it working, but it was always kind of too technical for someone that isn't like a developer himself to use because it was like CRI first and the UI was kind of not broken, but just not that intuitive. And I thought, okay, maybe I can do better. So I built a tiny little solution for that particular client. We used it and it worked extremely well. So we had like at peak, um, I don't know, 60,000 users or visitors per minute and the server absolutely oh. didn't care it was like if wow. there's nothing going on at all there wow very impressive and so okay so i can imagine having the success with something you've built in this particular instance it just sits with you right that this is something yeah. that you can't really let go of so i want to but still, I mean, this is not something that you picked up as soon as you did the project, right? Like this, like how, how long since the project and the start of Simply Static? How, how, how much time was there in between? Mm, 
So the solution I initially built, as usual, if if you were ever if you have ever worked like as an agency or a freelancer, um, you will know that like the implementation you do for a client and having like a fully fledged product is like two different worlds. So it Completely. was like the bare minimum implementation that just worked, and now I had to build like the entire UI and everything around it, and handling all the edge cases and re let alone the fact that you have to like replace urls is like a horrible thing because you have to like know reg rec x patterns and validate urls and is there a trading slash in the end or not and what do you do and oh, it was a kind of a lot of work but it took me about six months or so wow. to go from oh, wow. like the initial mvp to a fully fledged working product that is now used by quite a few and in the in the in in between the pandemic happened yeah wow so it was almost like a perfect storm really yeah and i <laughs> don't think i would have done it without covid so I'm not like i'm a fan of covid or anything but <laughs> um for that particular case it was actually a good thing because without uh, covid i would have been busy with like client work and maybe other projects and I would have never stumbled upon that particular use case because, I mean, if we think about static websites, you always think of like the early beginnings of uh, of the internet and everything was built with HTML and uh, who would have thought that static websites getting like trendy again and like a, a cool solution to like a pretty big problem um, that we have today because of like complex deployment processes and um, complex hosting setups from like load balancing things. And uh, you have like a different database store and you have like your file systems and whatnot. And now we can have like a static website that runs pretty much on the one euro per month package on GoDaddy. <laughs> and it's still pretty scalable and easy to update and all of that. I It's again... I, I do can completely relate to um, uh, having a tool that you use internally as an agency and then turning it into a platform or turning it into a product. It's totally different. Like we spent a couple of months building our UI and when it was done, it it, it took a couple more months before other people could easily use it. Um, mm. It was just like, a, you know, like there's buttons now. Doesn't mean it's UX, right? It was... Yeah, hard times. Um, how did you scale? Like, how did you start marketing your, your solution? Mm, I think I got quite lucky because um, tools like Gatsby, for example, Gatsby is like this huge headless, I think they also have like a WordPress integration, it's this huge venture capital-backed um, static site generator thing. And they kind of done marketing for me accidentally because they're like, okay, here's this new thing. And this new thing is actually a static site generator. And I was like, hey, yeah. I mean, Simply Static is like Gatsby for WordPress without all the hassle you have with like configuration <laughs> files and you have to like compile anything. No, you just install it, activate it, and you can click a button and it will do everything for you. So our my main marketing approach always was like, static site generator but without all the hassle you get from the other uh, alternatives there are out there and, and did think... you write articles or did you just 
I don't know. Um, like how, how did people find you in the first place? Yeah. So I write a lot of tutorials. That's kind of like my main marketing approach is like, let's call it content marketing, but it's really a lot about writing tutorials, things like, I don't know how to host WordPress on Cloudflare pages, for example, Cloudflare pages is like a huge, I mean, most of these fo folks listening to us later will know Cloudflare and Cloudflare has a hosting server or hosting provider, uh, which is free for like 99% of use cases. So you have to really work hard to make, uh, to get to the paid plan of Cloudflare pages. And I noticed people searching for how to host WordPress on Cloudflare pages, for example. So I wrote a tutorial about it. Then I noticed that while there are a couple of static site generators out there already, no one covers important topics around having a static site. It starts mm. with things like how do forms work on a static website, right? So, I mean, each website these days has some kind of form, be it like a of newsletter sign-up form or just a contact form. And no one wants to use like a static website if forms don't work. So I made a tutorial about how forms work, different providers available, how you can make it work on your own server. Uh, I've done the same with like search um, or analytics. People kept asking if like Google Analytics is working on a static website. I mean, yeah, sure it works. It's just JavaScript sending events to your Google Analytics account, but it wasn't clear from um, from the user perspective that these things just work the same way on a static website as they work on like a WordPress website, for example. So that's interesting. It's um, it it also is something that we notice is that sometimes people need answers to obvious questions, not necessarily because they don't know the answers. Is that they're not sure if the answer is still true. Yeah, and that is such a big thing, right? In terms of servers, in terms of uh, creating content around your product, is. Sometimes you need to answer the obvious questions that to you are, of course, and, and to them yeah. as well, even. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a confirmation that things are still the same. And that actually makes your product more appealing because no. it now fits very well in their existing workflow. But if you don't answer those questions, just like Google Analytics or a form, I mean, because as you say, every website these days needs... Um, some form of interaction, right? Whether it's whether it's checking out a, of a store or or simply signing up to uh, to a newsletter. Yeah. Um, how did you how did you identify this as a as a as an opportunity to market your product? Mainly, and so in the early days of Simply Static, support was like kind of overwhelming. So I got like I don't know one hundred messages a day or so asking all kinds of questions from like things like is Google Analytics working on a static website to wow. how do I set up my WordPress website on Cloudflare pages, for example. So my answer to that was like sitting down for like at least three months and writing like three tutorials each week uh, to cover all of these cases. And that got quite popular. So I got linked from like thousands of different blogs and websites um, a lot of people tried Simply Static and uh, wrote blog articles about it. Things like, hey, here's an easy way to make your WordPress website static for better performance and security. And you don't have to maintain like an updated WordPress website because as soon as it is static, it 
doesn't matter if you do your updates. So if you like to stay with like WordPress 3.5 for whatever reason, you can do that um, without getting like into any security issues because your WordPress website is separated from your static one. And it only just, changes if you run a new export. I just um, realized we're half an hour into the conversation and we never took the time to define what a static website is. Um, so if you just give me a quick explanation for people that are just tuning in and don't yeah. understand it, I'll edit it and paste it in the front of the podcast so that everybody is on the same page yeah. as we start. All right, go. So <laughs> a static website is basically a flattened version of your existing website. You can either convert your existing website into a static one, or you can build a static website from scratch. The main difference between a static and a dynamic one is that a dynamic website needs some kind of server interaction, usually done with like PHP or Python or some kind of dynamic um, programming language and a server. And like in 99% of the cases, also a database to store and retrieve data. And the static website is basically just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. There's no database interaction because at the point where a customer or a user or a visitor uh, visits your website, everything is already fetched, combined, compiled, whatever. So there is no active database connection um, happening here. And there's also no dynamic interaction. So you can host your static website on server services that doesn't even like support PHP, for example. And the effect, just to make it very obvious, to an owner of a static website is that you can now receive 60,000 visits per second or per minute, you said? Yeah. It, per second works just as well. So <laughs> there are like usually four main points considering going static. One is scalability. So you don't have to worry about scalability at all if you run a static site web, um, static site, <laughs> static website. So um, that's one thing. And that's kind of challenging if you think about like a huge app or so. Makes it, mm -hmm. Making that scalable is like a huge task. And you can completely eliminate that problem with going to a static site setup. Um, number two is performance. Um, that's especially noticeable if you're coming from a WordPress background. So having like my... Um, most recent example is like a, consider like a multilingual website done with WPML and a couple of other plugins, um, which even with things like caching, it performs okay-ish, but never like 100 of 100 page score, right? Because of the database um, interactions needed to provide like on-demand translated strings for all the languages you want to provide. With a static site setup, um, that process is already done because each language is already brought together. There's no database interaction happening. So you get like the maximum um, page speed, even when using like a multilingual setup. If you want to see it in action, you can visit dash.org, for example. Um, they are using Simply Static and WPML, and they have like, I don't know, 20 different languages or so. And the Sick. website is like incredibly fast. So wow. it's a pretty, pretty a decent use case for, for static websites and or especially for multilingual projects. Nice, um, man. And it, it, it works is, for, sorry, yeah. go on. 
Um, another point, it's not that sexy as performance, but it's still important, is like security. So static websites are like almost unhackable um, because you're because of the reason that you don't have like a database connected and you don't have the ability to execute malicious code in any way. There isn't really a chance for a hacker to to exploit anything, to uh, to grab customer data, to um, inject malicious code, even to like I don't know, write some spammy comments on your comment form or so. So that's a huge point as well. It works for certain use cases and it doesn't really work for others, right? So yeah. can you explain there? Um, so it works best for anything content related. Let's say you have like a big blog with like thousands of articles. Um, that's pretty use, pretty good use case because hosting such a blog is usually kind of expensive, even if you're like not have monetized it in any way. Um, media heavy websites, um, career portals, things like that. Um, or even things like uh, websites for photographers, for example. So hosting like image heavy websites is usually like tricky and you, it isn't that easy to make things like backups and even hosting the thing. And with a static website setup, that's kind of easy because the backup is usually just like zipping the FTP uh, content. So that makes things a lot easier. Um, where it gets a little bit trickier is in when you think of things like e-commerce, uh, especially WooCommerce is like a problem because WooCommerce still isn't really optimized for being used in like a headless environment. Um, there are things to make it work, but honestly, it's a nightmare right now, even with things like Woo GraphQL and all that thing, all that stuff available. It's just too hard for a customer to make that work and to use it reliably. So I absolutely not recommend it. There are other tools um, that make it quite easy. So for example, there is a tool called OpenCard mm -hmm. or um, SureCard. Um, both of them also have like a, a WordPress plugin that you can use to embed product pages and the checkout and all of that. And they work straight away because the, uh, the transaction itself is made on a remote server and not on your actual website. And they just respond via API and update the card and all that stuff. Right. So, nice. Yeah. Good tip. I think that's, so the good tip here is if you want to use a static website and still have an e-commerce solution, Try looking into SureCard. Yeah. But I mean, I, I recommend that anyway, even if you're like not going the static website route. But I'm, I was never like a really big fan of WooCommerce at all because it's like we have this huge thing and I know it's like hugely popular and people making a lot of money with extensions and plugins and whatnot. But there's also like a huge risk to self-hosting e-commerce products, especially if you're not willing to like invest a lot of um, money into a good hosting provider and having some someone to actually care about the website, make updates, check everything is still working and so on. So using an external provider who um, works on everything for you, so keeps the server up to date, um, Make sure every transaction is recorded uh, recorded correctly. Um, make sure there are regular backups uh, running that are actually working and re are restorable. Um, 
is like for me it's such a huge relief to have like trusted partners to to outsource things to instead of like hosting everything on my own i think that's a beautiful segue into the relationship that we have currently um but you can basically define it in the in, in we have the same mission statement in that sense which is do what you do best and delegate the rest. Like there's, there's only, there's only a, a finite things of things you can give a fuck about. And, and, but there's way more things that are actually important. And so yeah. really what you want is you want to focus on the stuff that you are passionate about, that, you know, you can actually do well if you have the time for it. Um, and now the other, it's like hosting, like doing email, for example, was just a firm decision that we made not to do. Uh, so that we could actually focus on on creating a scalable platform, um, because simply static is not your only product. Yeah. What else have you got? Um, so there was a need over over the last couple of months. We hit a particular use case um, with simply static, where simply static just wasn't really a good fit. Um, we're talking so. There's one particular use case that is uh, archiving existing websites. Imagine you have like a WordPress website. Maybe it's even a big one and you want to, it wasn't updated in like five years or so. It's still running on PHP 5.3, whatnot. <laughs> and you don't want to really maintain it anymore, but you still need or you still want to keep like the entire website and all the images, all the content, maybe to recycle it later or to um, just host it somewhere else without uh, the need of having to maintain the WordPress website. And here's where web2zit.com steps in. It's basically an abstraction layer to Simply Static that is not limited to WordPress at all. So you can download pretty much any kind of website with it. Um, and it takes away all the pressure we're kind of putting on you when you install Simply Static, because Simply Static is like a huge complex thing, and it does require certain things. Things like at least PHP 7.4, at least WordPress 6.0, um, at least a more or less up-to-date MySQL version, for example. And these things, especially considered like an unmaintained WordPress website, um, usually breaks the website. So if you upgrade a WordPress website that is running on PHP 5.3 to PHP 8, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> if I can avoid it, I would avoid it because things will break. There are plugins that are no longer existent. Maybe your theme isn't even maintained anymore. So things will break. And the chances are that their break are like pretty high. So Web2Zip is basically the answer to handle that. But it's also so much more. So the basic idea was to develop a tool that is insanely easy to use, even for non-WordPress people. Um, but at the same time, solving scalability um, with Whitecloud. Because... Building Simply Static as a scalable product, if we think about things like, I don't know, Laravel, for example. Yeah, there, there is an option to port like this entire thing to Laravel and kind of try to make it maintainable. But I would argue, it, one thing, financially, it might not make sense to do mm -hmm. it. And 
it's also a thing of technical skill set. So do you have the knowledge, the time and the skill set to build that? And is it more, ma more maintainable than having like a scalable solution um, based on the things you know and the provider like WildCloud to make it scalable out of the box and ensure maintainability for like 10 years to come? So with our current setup, I can like easily scale the my little Zest tool to like thousands of exports per minute without even like having to touch the code at all. I can easily roll out updates with a version manager include in WildCloud. So I have like one version for developing new features, testing things, and I have like a stable version that I roll out to, uh, to all the uh, tenants to make uh, new updates available pretty quickly if I have to. But I'm also not like pressure to fix one particular bug right now. Um, if it only happens in a certain setup, I can just update a particular tenant, for example, and test it out with like a couple of beta testers. And once it works fine, I can easily roll it out to every to all of my tenants. Sweet. I mean, this is exactly what, what we build a platform for. And we build it for you, uh, you could say, because you're the, you described the perfect situation of how you should use it. Um, but what's the customer journey for your customer? Like how, how do they get in touch with the product? How do they start using it? And in which particular case uh, would they feel the benefit of it? Yeah. So to start with Web2Zip, it couldn't get really easier. You can just visit the homepage and there's a little form at the top of the website where you can add your URL, add an email address. We need that because we sent you a zip file of your, of your website uh, to that particular email address. And you can just click download website. Um, if you're using the free plan, there's a little limitation. So one thing is it's limited to 200 pages or files per download. And there's also like a global queue system so if you are on the free plan you share the queue with all other people that are submitting a free download right now and you can also go with like um 24 i just recently added like a 24-hour day pass so uh, which is kind of cheap and tackles a particular use case for people that just want to archive their website but it's like bigger and they don't want to wait for the global queue to to uh get to their project so they can pay $4.99 once, get access for 24 hours and can, during that time, they can run unlimited exports if they want to, but usually they just want to have like one export, but it's a bigger website. Um, so that's like the, the most basic use case, but Web2Zip is kind of flexible and tackles different personas. So we have like the usual customer with like, I want to archive my website and I want to keep all the images, videos, HTML files, whatsoever. Um, another popular uh, customer segment we have and where I'm right now working to improve like the, the onboarding and the feature set uh, web to the provides for them is digital agencies and translation agencies. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I will release a little free tools that you can embed into your onto your own website maybe even with like a wordpress plugin um where people can add their url and click a button and they get back in return the number of pages the number of images maybe 
and also things like the number of words um, that this website contains, for example. So imagine like a translation agency having like a quick widget on their website and they can tell the customer immediately based on the number of words, their price per word and the hours they need to finish the job. Okay, your translation job will approximately take 10 hours or so without wow. even like calculating them themselves or having to like scan the website manually, things like that. It's just a click of a button, completely automated for them. And that's a huge thing for translation agencies. And it works that in a similar so way. Yeah. And I think it works in a similar way for digital agencies. So one option is to have like a similar um, onboarding calculation flow with uh, calculating based on the number of pages, but also for generally for things like doing a relaunch. Imagine you have, you're getting a customer and he's using this old paid um, closed source page builder, like I don't want to trash anyone, but you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. There are some <laughs> page builders that aren't really that nice, especially compared to WordPress. And if you have one of these, they usually don't provide any export at all. So what you're, what are you doing when you're planning a relaunch? You log into some kind of clunky dashboard and you try to um, get out the content, get out the images. Um, maybe there are even like videos or PDF files or whatsoever. Um, what you can do now with Web2Zip is add the URL, add your email address, or just log into the dashboard where you can like download all your files, um, click on the button, wait a couple of seconds, or if it's really a big website, it might take up to two minutes or three, but you get a notification email once the process is done. And you have all the, um, all the images, all the videos, all the PDF files, and all the pages. And what you will soon um, be able to do is extract not like the entire HTML, but either plain text that you can just copy and paste into WordPress or like a cleaned HTML version, um, which especially with things like the blog editor make it easier than ever to relaunch a website because you get like, okay, this is a cleaned HTML version and it just contains like H tags, P tags, links, but not like any diff containers and span tags and whatsoever. Uh, just clean HTML, copy it, paste it into the blog editor, and voila, you have a fully formatted working page, cleaned. Um, everything is fine. Uh, we strip all the tags, all the classes, all that stuff for you. So, yeah, that's, I think, a really valuable tool in terms of doing relaunches. So, Patrick, I appreciate your modesty in not naming any names, but um, it's actually the people that know the least about uh, web development that are in need of this the most because they're most likely on something that they want to get yeah. rid of. So if you're, if you're comfortable, could you maybe call out some names that would work particularly well with this service if they wanted to migrate over to the block editor? Um, yeah. So I have, uh, I have added a couple of examples. Uh, if you check web2zip.com slash use cases, where I also name a couple of popular uh, services um, that are a good fit. And they're not like, because I hate them, it's just based on user data. So people using these services submit to Web2Zip 
fairly often. Um, I think the most common one is Wix.com, which is like a perfect example of a missing export tool and it's kind of hard to get out the content from them. Um, Webflow.com is also a popular example. Um, Framer. Framer is like this new mm. shiny web editor mm. thing, which is like nice to create, but kind of expensive if you want to host with them. And if you create a website on Framer, you have to host them on Framer. With Web2Zip, you can still create your website in Framer, but you don't have to host it there. So you can just wow. strip it away and host it yourself. Uh, I know these tools will absolutely hate what I'm doing with my tool, but I mean, I think it's it should up to should be up to the customer to decide where you want to host your website and not like having being forced to use things like Framer and Framer also charges like a huge amount of money for hosting if you run like a multilingual website. And I think other tools like Wix.com will follow the same pricing strategy. Webflow's um, already doing it as well. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think yeah. you should pay like, I don't know, 50 bucks a month for a multilingual website for your little restaurant, for example, just mm -hmm. to provide your customers an easy and understandable way to read your menu, for example. I, I want to say, I actually read this about Webflow. I want to say this week on Twitter, of course, um, but apparently they've updated their prices and now every translation is $25 per month. Yeah. So good luck with that. Um, no, and to be honest, man, I think you're a great crusader because uh, vendor lock-in is the main reason why we recommend people not to use any of those proprietary page builders or website builders uh, because at the end of the day you don't own what you build and it sounds to me as if you've finally democratized web development in such a way because you've provided an exit like this is the yeah. this is the way to export in a way that the companies themselves don't even provide so um no, I, I thank you for it, man. This is something I, I didn't know that you could also use Web2Zip in this way. And I'll definitely uh, edit this bit out and post it on our social media to see if uh, if we can actually be of service to people there as well. So um, you can download any site, right? Yeah. So any any site you fill in, even if you don't own it in that sense. Yeah. So feasibly, you could say, I want to use a site as inspiration, download it, and then turn it into WordPress. And then obviously it doesn't do you any good if you would duplicate the site, but it could serve as a pretty good foundation, maybe to schools or maybe just designers yeah. who want to do, uh, who want to build. That's actually one of on the other user personas I'm, uh, I'm targeting is for, uh, one thing is to like offline learning. So imagine things like Udemy, you have that course, you own, I mean, you still have to buy the course, right? But uh, I think they already provide like an offline option if you have the app. But if you don't have the app, you could use Web2Zip, authenticate with your um, login credentials and download all the videos from the course you, are, you already bought. And let's say you're on like a 12-hour flight from... Europe wow. to America, for example, you can just consume the content without being online at all. Um, but also for people stepping into web development, you find this shiny, really cool um, website from like a, a hip startup with like a cool animation effect done in JavaScript. And you want to see how it's done and how it works and if you can replicate it. 
you can download the entire HTML website, which also contains all of the JavaScript and dig into it and kind of reverse engineer what's happening and try out to replicate it and even like modify it, for example. That's so cool, man. That's, uh, I think it's a really neat trick to just look under the hood of actual sites and uh, just, you know, play with it. Yeah. I mean, we have kind of like a dynamic blacklist for people. I mean, it's obviously, if you have like, a, you provide a software service solution that downloads websites, people try to game the system. So we have like a dynamically, um, a dynamic block list, for example, so we con which contains things like google.com, for example, or youtube.com, so we don't have to want to deal with like, hey, uh, I just submitted youtube.com, can you please download this 10 terabyte uh, website for me? So, yeah, and we also have like things like an active monitoring in the background, so I can see live how many pages and files we actually fetch from a particular website. And if it's really a big website, we have an additional verification step. So uh, I once tried it with uh, post status, for example. I'm sorry, post status, but <laughs> it was just an experiment and everything worked as expected. So post status is like really a really big website. And I tried to export it to test like our dynamic limitation uh, solution. And it worked quite well because we fetched like 5,000 files and pa uh, pages and files. And wow. then it stopped because, okay, it's a pretty big website and crawling an entire website is like a resource heavy process, not even, not only for like web to zip, um, but also for the actual website. And we got like uh, we got blocked by the user agent, and what we're doing right now is, in case we we see that the process is running quite a lot, and we get different uh, returns from the website, we stop the process and do something similar to Google um, Webmaster Tools, where you have like a little con um, confirmation HTML file that you have to upload to your FTP server, and right. we check that, and if it's there, if it's kind of like verified, um, we still do like the entire download for you. I'm still amazed that this is a, a, a product that runs on WildCloud because as you can imagine, this is not something that we ever expected to facilitate. But just to give me an idea, it's so basically what you do is you download the site and then it becomes available as a WordPress site on our platform as a tenant that people get access to that they can download and then after 24 hours, you delete it again. Mm, we have like, it's a little bit different. So we have um, on the website itself, there's a, an app running, which is built on, on top of React and Superbase. Superbase is kind of like, if people are familiar with Firebase, it's like the open source alternative to it. Um, it's basically our source of truths. So it's like the global database containing the subscription-related data, the job data. And then we have the tenants running on WildCloud. These tenants are like single WordPress installations um, where um, they run on headless mode. So there's no like actual front end there. And they have simply static installed and like a little connector plugin, which um, connects to the Superbase database. So 
if you submit a job on the website, it gets submitted to Superbase and the tenants check regularly uh, via a Chrome job if there's a new job and if the tenant um, is currently available. Because if an export is running on the tenant, it's kind of blocked for Superbase. So we do that with a little um, REST API request. Um, Superbase asks the uh, tenant, hey, are you running an export right now? And if not, here's a new job for you to do. And then it starts doing the export. And when once the export is finished, I know it's it sounds a little bit over-engineered, but I just wanted to make <laughs> sure it's it's really scalable. So once the process is finished for the tenant, it pings back to our service um, with the answer, okay, I'm done now. Um, I'm free to take any new job you might have for me. And at the same time, it uploads the um, created zip file to an AWS S3 storage. And that S3 storage um, generates a, the unique download link for the user, which then gets forwarded via email. I love it. It's it's great. How how many tenants do you expect to need to facilitate, I don't know, the growth that you want to have? Mm, I think for right now we are running with like five or six tenants, but we I think we will outgrow them pretty quickly. So right now it works well because we have like this we have one free tenant for all the free submissions, but I think I have to increase the free tenants at least to let's say three or so by the end of the year just to make it like still usable to have like the free submission and uh, i try to like don't have to have people to wait too long uh, so i think like 30 minutes or an hour or so is fine if you submit it for free but i don't want to be added up to like five hours or so just to get a little download um, I think we have to scale the pro. So I basically differentiated between three tenants. Um, they, I kind of prefix them simply in, in the white cloud dashboard. So there's like tenant free and tenant pro and tenant free only is only running jobs that are submitted via the free tool and tenant pro submits basically everything that is running from a, from the pro dashboard. And yeah, I think, I mean, the configuration is so performant right now that we can export i just tried it with like the white cloud website before we started <laughs> our call right now and it took like <laughs> two and a half minutes to download the entire website and it's like i don't know 800 pages and files or so so it's not like a super small website and that just took like two and a half minutes which is wow. like kind of insane also, for all this the pages entire... that, also all the pages that we're hiding from people right now right yeah. <laughs> well, people don't try to download our website. There's a lot of pages that we're not ready to show yet. <laughs> I mean, you can also, if you have like, um, we have like an internal um, validator for such things. So, we, for example, we respect the robots.txt file, for example. If you have excluded certain directories in your robots.txt file, we're never going to download them. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. The same is true for things like basic authentication. We can actually download uh, content behind basic authentication, but you have to explicitly confirm it and you have to provide the basic of credentials mm. for us to fetch pages protected with basic authentication. 
Nice. And yeah, so we try to be like the good guys as much as possible, uh, especially in like in in a business space where a lot of shady things happening. Fair so enough. yeah, yeah. No, I mean definitely, uh, 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 business espionage is a real thing, and it sounds that your platform can feasibly be used in a in a to benefit those typical um organizations so yeah. what's next what's the uh what's your prognosis what is the um what's next on the roadmap uh how do you expect this to uh to grow and scale yeah so right now it's kind of tricky if you're like a technical founder and uh, you love developing new stuff and adding just a tiny new little feature so new features are on the roadmap and they will come more sooner than later. Things like having like a REST API integration or uh, the ability to schedule um, exports so that you can run them like daily, weekly, monthly or so automatically without even touching anything. Um, also things like webhook support. Imagine things like you export a website with Web2Zip and then you trigger the API task to upload it to Netlify, for example, or to I don't know, combine it with, uh, that's a funny little use case. And it's maybe something we do like an official collaboration with PDF.ai. So yeah. imagine downloading your website as a zip file, as a PDF file, and automatically uploading it to PDF.ai. And now you can chat with like any website on the planet. Um, it's a fun use case. I'm not sure what PDF AI is uh, thinking about it, but we will at least try to um, work uh, actively on collaborations with additional tools to make it really easy to fulfill certain tasks. Um, nice. So, yeah, that's one thing. The other thing is marketing, um, especially making people aware that that kind of tool can be used in, like, a variety of different use cases, which I think we can tackle a lot with things like tutorials and videos, but also with like directly reaching out to people, onboarding them, explaining the concept, explaining the benefits, and also making sure it's not like too technical. I, I mean, I kind of think we need things like a REST API uh, early on to force or to enable things like collaborations with other tools. But once we have that, have like, I don't know, 10 collaborations running, I think it's time to make it follow the same marketing strategy uh, as I've done it with Simply Static and explain this concept to non-technical users or less technical users to really get into like a bigger market. Right, um, yeah, because on that subject, you did mention that Simply Static is now a rather complex tool to use. You, you need to be, I mean, somewhat of a developer to understand it or to use it. Any plans to make that more widely available to people that don't have such a technical background? Yeah, so that was like the initial starting point for Web2Zip was to provide the flexibility of Simply Static, but without like the technical knowledge. Um, you already see that if you visit web2zip.com, there are like two settings, just two settings on purpose, right? Email and URL. And we don't ask any additional questions. And even if you have like the pro dashboard, you have to 
actively toggle on the advanced mode to get like additional features because most people don't even know the difference between like downloading a website for offline usage and online usage and even with like tooltips and all that stuff it's still hard to to grasp the concept behind it so i really try to keep it simple um make it flexible but also like not getting into into the same user base uh as i've done it with simply static right 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 and so i can imagine that the next step for simply stat or rather for web to zip would be to create a static website from any website that you have built with wix yeah. for example i mean that's kind of like an an easy win for the tool because of the popularity of simply static so you can immediately say things like okay if simply static is too complex for you use web to zip and you can achieve basically the same um without any technical knowledge and without even worrying about your server or whatever um by doing this for example but i do try to um not go too deep into the static generation part uh, of the solution because sure. it's obviously one use case but i think things like um helping with quoting for translation and digital agencies is also like a huge thing um and also things like um one thing we didn't mention is like evidence so what you can also do with web i think it was unity unity is like this huge game development framework thing that is used for all triple a video games right now and mm -hmm. they had this thing with like they removed their terms and conditions page from their github repository with the explanation that no one was viewing it and after they removed it they drastically increased their pricing what you can do with web to zip right now is like make a copy of that particular page save it somewhere then uh, take a new copy in like a month from now and then compare both with like a simple um, file comparison tool so uh, nice at a mac we have like a tool called kaleidoscope or so which can like show you differences between files and that's exactly what you can do with like web to zip so you can easily keep track of changes it's wow. also like in um, good for the actual company so let's say you get into a legal case because someone said hey you have changed your terms and condition and you haven't notified us as customers and you can use web to zip and make like timestamped exports every week every month whatsoever and provide um uh, evidence that you haven't that nothing has changed that uh, would require like a notification to your customers for example wow so it could turn into a bit of a compliance tool for yeah. i mean say uh, uh yeah i mean attorney practices or any legal company that would recommend it to their larger clients and say hey it's a good idea if you make a backup of your site every yeah. now and again uh simply so that you can be you know, have the actual evidence when you do. Uh, I mean, in the United States, I can imagine that this to be <laughs> to be a pretty popular tool if you uh, if you do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's kind of. I think it's a pretty inter interesting use case, but at the same time, it's it feels at least almost impossible to to get to that particular customer segment. So because I have like no real connection to 
any legal partners or sure. like IT security companies or whatsoever uh, that would care about that kind of use case. But I think it's an important one and I can see if we find a way to, to reach that segment in one way or another, um, I can definitely see that as a pretty valid use case for Aptizip as well. I can I can imagine that a company such as Rocket Lawyer, you know, that offers um, uh, contracts. So you just, yeah. you can download template for contracts. I can imagine that if you were to contact them at any point in time and, and show them like what this thing can do, I can see them doing a partnership with you where they say, hey, this is another service that we offer. Yeah. Um, because it's in the same realm, but it's not competing with anything they do right now. Yeah. Nice add-on. I think we have to wrap up just in just to make this uh, podcast a little digestible for people uh, because I feel like we could talk for at least another hour. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should actually do one in the future where we pick up where we left off. Um, but I do want to close with, if you could, because then I can use that little snippet again uh, to share it with people, it, what's the pitch for web to uh, web to zip if you were to uh, if you were to pitch it in 30 seconds yeah so web to zip is the all-in-one website downloader that offers the ability to go static in a couple of seconds with your with your website um, provide an evidence in case of any legal case you might face um, work offline on your course project or web project or whatever and uh, also make it simpler than ever to uh, quote a website or translation project for your future customer. And I still can't believe it's all hosted on WildCloud. I did ask if you were going to WordCamp Germany, but you're not, aren't you? Yeah, sadly ah, not. Too bad. I would love to meet you in person. Which country, uh, which, which city are you based again? Uh, I'm from Berlin. So I'm right. just, just a tiny bit outside of uh, the, the center of Berlin. It's like, I don't know. Where do you live? 15 which, minutes uh, with a car or so. Where, which, uh, where, where do you live in Berlin? Um, I'm in north of Berlin. Mm -hmm. which, uh, which quarter? Which Sorry, area, I mean? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Do we translate those things? Prenzlauer Berg no. is like the, the German, the German pronunciation. I don't, think you, I, I don't think you should translate Prenzlauer Berg. Um, nice, man. I used to, used to live in Berlin myself. And uh, I spent my entire summer in Prenzlauer Berg last year yeah. for a month and a half. Uh, I didn't know you back then, but uh, we should have hung out. That would have been fun. Yeah, but, uh, um, I mean, I was supposed to go to the Elementor thing, uh, which has now been postponed on November 1. So that would have yeah. been a perfect moment. But uh, maybe I'll I come by of, anyways. I thought of it as well. Uh, I, the only thing that bugged me a little bit about this whole uh, Elementor conference thing was... Um, what is it actually about? So, <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. It's like, okay, it's an Elementor thing. We're talking about websites and how to use Elementor for whatever reason, but it's kind of like hidden behind a, I mean, is it hidden behind a paywall? I don't know, but there are things like, okay, what are we going to talking about? And uh, how many people get in and what kind of people is there some kind of like promotional stuff happening or is it like uh, we have a keynote or how many speakers are there or is it more like a networking event i have so many questions and little to no answers but i thought the it's same a, yeah they're very very valid questions i i immediately jumped on the opportunity to go and visit my friends in in berlin 
So for me, that was like priority number one. And priority yeah. number two is I, I really liked people at Elementor. So anytime I can actually hang out, hang out with them uh, or uh, especially with Miriam Schwab, I, I, I think she's a great person. She's one of your former, uh, still uh, competitors, is she not? Yeah. All right, well, Stratic yeah. is like uh, always my recommendation if if we get like a pretty big company with like a huge catalog of like, okay, how do we perform in terms of GPR and can we follow that particular restriction and where things are stored. And if I notice that this company is just too big to be handled with like our setup and I mean, we're like four people right now. Um, and um, uh, Stratic is like, I don't know, 25 people or so. Yeah, at mm -hmm. least 5x bigger than us. So, and I think like, especially enterprise projects are way better, um, way better hosted on Stratic than done yourself with Simply Static. So this is what I love about the WordPress community is that people are so easy to point out when their use, when their product doesn't apply to the use case and easy to point out to which alternative you can choose. Yeah. It's not really regarded as a competitor per se. Obviously you're in the same realm and, and, and sometimes you may even be taking the same customers, but at the end of the day, uh, collaboration is, is key. I love that. Yeah. Maybe a good note to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to finish on. Yeah, I really enjoyed absolutely. this with you, man. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, me too. And, uh, Thanks for having I'll me. Be sh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not the last time. Let's, uh, let's say that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.